2. Killing Hydroxychloroquine Most of my fellow Democrats understand that Dr. Fauci led an effort to deliberately derail America's access to life-saving drugs and medicines that might have saved hundreds of thousands of lives and dramatically shortened the pandemic. There is no other aspect of the COVID crisis that more clearly reveals the malicious intentions of a powerful vaccine cartel led by Dr. Fauci and Bill Gates to prolong the pandemic and amplify its mortal effects in order to promote their mischievous inoculations. From the outset, hydroxychloroquine, HCQ, and other therapeutics posed an existential threat to Dr. Fauci and Bill Gates' $48 billion COVID vaccine project, and particularly to their vanity drug Remdesivir, in which Gates has a large stake. Under federal law, new vaccines and medicines cannot qualify for emergency use authorization, EUA, if any existing FDA-approved drug proves effective against the same malady. For FDA to issue an EUA, emergency use authorization, there must be no adequate, approved, and available alternative to the candidate product for diagnosing, preventing, or treating the disease or condition. Thus, if any FDA-approved drug like hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin proved effective against COVID, pharmaceutical companies would no longer be legally allowed to fast-track their billion-dollar vaccines to market under emergency use authorization. Instead, vaccines would have to endure the years-long delays that have always accompanied methodical safety and efficacy testing, and that would mean less profits, more uncertainty, longer runways to market, and a disappointing end to the lucrative COVID-19 vaccine gold rush. Dr. Fauci has invested $6 billion in taxpayer lucre in the Moderna vaccine alone. His agency is co-owner of the patent and stands to collect a fortune in royalties. At least four of Fauci's hand-picked deputies are in line to collect royalties of $150,000 a year, based on Moderna's success, and that's on top of the salaries already paid by the American public. So there was good reason that very powerful potentates of the medical cartel were already targeting HCQ long before President Trump began his infamous romance with the malaria remedy. President Trump's endorsement of HCQ on March 19, 2020, hyper-politicized the debate, and gave Dr. Fauci's defamation campaign against HCQ a soft landing among Democrats and the media. Trump's critics relegated any further claims of HCQ efficacy to the same anti-science waste bin as Trump's notorious recommendation for bleach to cure COVID and his denial of climate change but HCQ had a long history of safe medical use that got lost in the politics and propaganda. HCQ before Dr. Fauci's smear campaign Dr. Fauci's challenge to prove that HCQ is dangerous was daunting 
because hydroxychloroquine is a 65-year-old formula that regulators around the globe long ago approved as both safe and effective against a variety of illnesses. HCQ is an analog of the quinine found in the bark of the cinchona tree that George Washington used to protect his troops from malaria. For decades, WHO has listed HCQ as an essential medicine, proven effective against a long list of ailments. It is a generally benign prescription medicine, far safer, according to the manufacturer's package inserts, than many popular over-the-counter drugs. Generations have used HCQ billions of times throughout the world, practically without restriction. During my many childhood trips to Africa, I took HCQ daily as a preventive against malaria, a ritual that millions of other African visitors and residents embrace. Long use has thoroughly established HCQ's safety and efficacy, such that most African countries authorize HCQ as an over-the-counter medication. Africans call the drug Sunday Sunday because millions of them take it religiously once a week, as a malaria prophylaxis. It's probably not a coincidence that these nations enjoyed some of the world's lowest mortality rates from COVID. HCQ is the number one most used medication in India, the second most populous nation on the planet, with 1.3 billion people. Prior to the COVID pandemic, HCQ and its progenitor, chloroquine, were freely available over-the-counter in most of the world, including France, Canada, Iran, Mexico, Costa Rica, Panama, and many other countries. In the United States, the FDA has approved HCQ without limitation for 65 years, meaning that physicians can prescribe it for any off-label use. CDC's information sheet deems hydroxychloroquine safe for pregnant women breastfeeding women, children, infants, elderly and immune-compromised patients, and healthy persons of all ages. The CDC sets no limits on the lengthy and indefinite use of hydroxychloroquine for the prevention of malaria. Many people in Africa and India take it for a lifetime, since its recommended protocol as a remedy for COVID requires only one week's use Dr. Fauci's sudden revelation that the drug is dangerous was specious at best. According to Dr. Peter McCullough, to date, there has not been a single credible report that the medication increases the risk of death in COVID-19 patients when prescribed by competent physicians who understand its safety profile. Efficacy Against Coronavirus with Early Intervention HCQ Protocol Some 200 peer-reviewed studies by government and independent researchers deem HCQ safe and effective against coronavirus, especially when taken prophylactically or when taken in the initial stages of illness along with zinc and zithromax. In 32 studies of early outpatient treatment of COVID using hydroxychloroquine, 31 of the studies showed benefit, and only one study showed harm. The study showing harm resulted from a single patient in the treatment group requiring hospitalization. When all the studies are collected together, 
despite having different outcome measures, the average benefit is 64%. This means that subjects who received hydroxychloroquine were only 36% as likely to reach the negative outcomes as subjects in the control groups. The scientific literature first suggested that HCQ or CQ might be effective treatments for coronavirus in 2004. In that era, following an outbreak, Chinese and Western governments were pouring millions of dollars into an effort to identify existing, aka repurposed medicines, that were effective against coronaviruses. With HCQ, they had stumbled across the Holy Grail. In 2004, Belgian researchers found that chloroquine was effective at viral killing at doses equivalent to those used to treat malaria, i.e. doses that are safe. A CDC study published in 2005 in the Virology Journal, Chloroquine is a Potent Inhibitor of SARS Coronavirus Infection and Spread, demonstrated that CQ quickly eliminated coronavirus in primate cell culture during the SARS outbreak. That study concludes, we report that chloroquine has strong antiviral effects on SARS coronavirus infection of primate cells, both before or after exposure to the virus, suggesting both prophylactic and therapeutic advantage. This conclusion was particularly threatening to vaccine makers, since it implies that chloroquine functions both as a preventive vaccine as well as a cure for SARS coronavirus. Common sense would presume it to be effective against other coronavirus strains. Worse still for Dr. Fauci and his vaccine-making friends, a NIAID study and a Dutch paper, both in 2014, confirmed chloroquine was effective against MERS, still another coronavirus. In response to their studies, physicians worldwide discovered early in the pandemic that they could successfully treat high-risk COVID-19 patients as outpatients within the first five to seven days of the onset of symptoms with a chloroquine drug alone or with a cocktail consisting of hydroxychloroquine, zinc, and azithromycin or doxycycline. Multiple scholarly contributions to the literature quickly confirmed the efficacy of hydroxychloroquine and hydroxychloroquine-based combination treatment when administered within days of COVID symptoms. Studies confirming this occurred in China, France, Saudi Arabia, Iran, Italy, India, New York City, upstate New York, Michigan, and Brazil. HCQ's first prominent champion was Dr. Didier Raoult, the iconic French infectious disease professor who has published more than 2,700 papers and is famous for having discovered 100 microorganisms, including the pathogen that causes Whipple's disease. On March 17, 2020, Dr. Raoult provided a preliminary report on 36 patients treated successfully with hydroxychloroquine and sometimes azithromycin at his institution in Marseille. In April, Dr. Vladimir Zev Zelenko, M.D., an upstate New York physician and early HCQ adopter, reproduced Dr. Didier Raoult's startling successes 
by dramatically reducing expected mortalities among 800 patients Zelenko treated with the HCQ cocktail. By late April of 2020, U.S. doctors were widely prescribing HCQ to patients and family members, reporting outstanding results and taking it themselves prophylactically. In May 2020, Dr. Harvey Reich, MD, PhD, published the most comprehensive study to date on HCQ's efficacy against COVID. Reich is Yale University's supereminent professor of epidemiology, an illustrious world authority on the analysis of aggregate clinical data. Dr. Reich concluded that evidence is unequivocal for early and safe use of the HCQ cocktail. Dr. Reich published his work, a meta-analysis reviewing five outpatient studies, in affiliation with the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health in the American Journal of Epidemiology under the urgent title Early Outpatient Treatment of Symptomatic High-Risk COVID-19 Patients That Should Be Ramped Up Immediately as Key to Pandemic Crisis. He further demonstrated with specificity how HCQ's critics, largely funded by Bill Gates and Dr. Tony Fauci, had misinterpreted, misstated, and misreported negative results by employing faulty protocols, most of which showed HCQ efficacy administered without zinc and zithromax, which were known to be helpful. But their main trick for ensuring the protocols failed was to wait until late in the disease process before administering HCQ, when it is known to be ineffective. Dr. Reich noted that evidence against HCQ used late in the course of the disease is irrelevant. While acknowledging that Dr. Didier Raoult's powerful French studies favoring HCQ efficacy were not randomized, Reich argued that the results were nevertheless so stunning as to far outweigh that deficit. The first study of HCQ plus AZ showed a 50-fold benefit of HCQ plus AZ versus standard of care. This is such an enormous difference that it cannot be ignored despite lack of randomization. Reich has pointed out that the supposed need for randomized placebo-controlled trials is a shibboleth. In 2014, the Cochrane Collaboration proved in a landmark meta-analysis of 10,000 studies that observational studies of the kind produced by Dr. Didier Raoult are equal in predictive ability to randomized placebo-controlled trials. Furthermore, Reich observed that it is highly unethical to deny patients promising medications during a pandemic, particularly those which, like HCQ, have long-standing safety records. So, against all that I've shared here, Dr. Fauci offered up one answer. Hydroxychloroquine should not be used because we don't understand the mechanism it uses to defeat COVID. Another shibboleth transparently invoked to defeat common sense. Regulators do not understand the mechanism of action of many drugs, but they nonetheless license those that are effective and safe. The fact is that we know more about how HCQ beats COVID than we know about the actions of many other medicines, including, notably, 
Dr. Fauci's Darlings, mRNA Vaccines, and Remdesivir. Furthermore, an August 2020 paper from Baylor University by Dr. Peter McCullough et al. described mechanisms by which the components of the HCQ cocktail exert antiviral effects. McCullough shows that the efficacy of the HCQ cocktail is based on the pharmacology of the hydroxychloroquine ionophore acting as the gun and zinc as the bullet, while azithromycin potentiates the antiviral effect. An even more expansive September 30, 2020 meta-review summarizes more recent research, concluding that all the studies on early administration of HCQ within a week following infection demonstrate efficacy, while studies of HCQ administered later in the illness show mixed results. In March 2020, Nature published a paper demonstrating the specific mechanisms in tissue culture by which chloroquine stops viral reproduction. In April 2020, a team of Chinese scientists published a preprint of a 62-patient placebo-controlled trial of hydroxychloroquine resulting in demonstrably improved time to recovery and less progression to severe disease in the treated group. In May 2020, a Chinese expert consensus group recommended doctors use chloroquine routinely for mild, moderate, and severe cases of COVID-19 pneumonia. A national study in Finland in May 2021 showed a five times efficacy, and national studies in Canada and Saudi Arabia showed three times efficacy. I'll stop gilding the lily here and ask the listener, was hydroxychloroquine some crazy, baseless idea? Or ought regulators to have honestly investigated it as a potential remedy during a raging pandemic? Pharma's War on HCQ The prospect of an existing therapeutic drug with an expired patent that could outperform any vaccine in the war against COVID posed a momentous threat to the pharmaceutical cartel. Among the features pharma companies most detest is low cost, and HCQ is about $10 per course. Compare that to more than $3,000 per course for Dr. Fauci's beloved remdesivir. No surprise, pharmaceutical interests launched their multinational preemptive crusade to restrict and discredit HCQ starting way back in January 2020 months before the WHO declared a pandemic, and even longer before President Trump's controversial March 19th endorsement. On January 13th, when rumors of Wuhan flu COVID-19 began to circulate, the French government took the bizarre, inexplicable, unprecedented, and highly suspicious step of reassigning HCQ from an over-the-counter to a prescription medicine. Without citing any studies, French health officials quietly changed the status of HCQ to List 2 Poisonous Substance and banned its over-the-counter sales. This absolutely remarkable coincidence repeated itself a few weeks later when Canadian health officials did the exact same thing 
quietly removing the drug from pharmacy shelves. A physician from Zambia reported to Dr. Harvey Reich that in some villages and cities, organized groups of buyers emptied drugstores of HCQ and then burned the medication in bonfires outside the towns. South Africa destroyed two tons of life-saving hydroxychloroquine in late 2020, supposedly due to violation of an import regulation. The U.S. government in 2021 ordered the destruction of more than a thousand pounds of HCQ because it was improperly imported. The feds are insisting that all of it be destroyed and not be used to save a single life anywhere in the world, said a lawyer seeking to resist the senseless order. By March, frontline doctors around the world were spontaneously reporting miraculous results following early treatment with HCQ, and this prompted growing anxiety for pharma. On March 13th, a Michigan doctor and trader, Dr. James Todaro, M.D., tweeted his review of HCQ as an effective COVID treatment, including a link to a public Google Doc. Google quietly scrubbed Dr. Todaro's memo. This was six days before the president endorsed HCQ. Google apparently didn't want users to think Todaro's message was missing. Rather, the big tech platform wanted the public to believe that Todaro's memo never even existed. Google has a long history of suppressing information that challenges vaccine industry profits. Google's parent company, Alphabet, owns several vaccine companies, including Verily, as well as Vaxitech, a company banking on flu, prostate cancer, and COVID vaccines. Google has lucrative partnerships with all the large vaccine manufacturers, including a $715 million partnership with GlaxoSmithKline. Verily also owns a business that tests for COVID infection. Google was not the only social media platform to ban content that contradicts the official HCQ narrative. Facebook, Pinterest, Instagram, YouTube, MailChimp, and virtually every other big tech platform began scrubbing information demonstrating HCQ's efficacy, replacing it with industry propaganda generated by one of the Dr. Fauci Gates-controlled public health agencies, HHS, NIH, and WHO. When President Trump later suggested that Dr. Fauci was not being truthful about hydroxychloroquine, social media responded by removing his posts. It was a March 2020 news conference where Dr. Fauci launched his concerted attack on HCQ. Asked whether HCQ might be used as a prophylaxis for COVID, he shouted back, The answer is no and the evidence that you're talking about is anecdotal evidence. His reliable allies at the New York Times then launched a campaign to defame Dr. Raoult. In the midst of a deadly pandemic, somebody very powerful wanted a medication that had been available over-the-counter for decades and known to be effective against coronaviruses to be suddenly but silently pulled from the shelves, from Canada to Zambia. In March, at HHS's request, 
several large pharmaceutical companies, Novartis, Bayer, Sanofi, and others, donated their inventory, a total of 63 million doses of hydroxychloroquine and 2 million of chloroquine, to the Strategic National Stockpile, managed by BARDA, an agency under the DHHS Assistant Secretary for Preparedness and Response. BARDA's director, Dr. Rick Bright, later claimed the chloroquine drugs were deadly and he needed to protect the American public from them. Bright colluded with FDA to restrict use of the donated pills to hospitalized patients. FDA publicized the authorization using language that led most physicians to believe that prescribing the drug for any purpose was off-limits. But at the beginning of June, based on clinical trials that intentionally gave unreasonably high doses to hospitalized patients and failed to start the drug until too late, FDA took the unprecedented step of revoking HCQ's emergency authorization, rendering that enormous stockpile of valuable pills off-limits to Americans while conveniently indemnifying the pharmaceutical companies for their inventory losses by allowing them a tax break for the donations. After widespread use of the drug for 65 years, without warning, FDA somehow felt the need to send out an alert on June 15, 2020, that HCQ is dangerous and that it required a level of monitoring only available at hospitals. In a bit of twisted logic, federal officials continued to encourage doctors to use the suddenly dangerous drug without restriction for lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, Lyme, and malaria, just not for COVID. With the encouragement of Dr. Fauci and other HHS officials, many states simultaneously imposed restrictions on HCQ's use. The Fraudulent Industry Studies Prior to COVID-19, not a single study had provided evidence against the use of HCQ based on safety concerns. In response to the mounting tsunami that HCQ was safe and effective against COVID, Gates, Dr. Fauci, and their pharma allies deployed an army of industry-linked researchers to gin up contrived evidence of its dangers. By 2020, we shall see, Bill Gates exercised firm control over WHO and deployed the agency in his effort to discredit HCQ. Dr. Fauci, Bill Gates, and WHO financed a cadre of research mercenaries to concoct a series of nearly 20 studies, all employing fraudulent protocols deliberately designed to discredit HCQ as unsafe. Instead of using the standard treatment dose of 400 milligrams a day, the 17 WHO studies administered a borderline lethal daily dose, starting with 2,400 milligrams on day one and using 800 milligrams a day thereafter, in a cynical, sinister, and literally homicidal crusade against HCQ, a team of BMGF operatives played a key role in devising and pushing through the exceptionally high dosing. 
They made sure that UK government recovery trials on 1,000 elderly patients in over a dozen British, Welsh, Irish, and Scottish hospitals, and the UN Solidarity Study of 3,500 patients in 400 hospitals in 35 countries, as well as additional sites in 13 countries, the REMAP COVID trial, all used those unprecedented and dangerous doses. This was a brassy enterprise to prove chloroquine dangerous, and sure enough, it proved that elderly patients can die from deadly overdoses. The purpose seemed very clearly to poison the patients and blame the deaths on HCQ, says Dr. Merrill Nass, a physician, medical historian, and biowarfare expert. In each of these two trials, solidarity and recovery, the hydroxychloroquine arm predictably had 10 to 20% more deaths than the control arm, the control arm being those patients lucky enough to receive standard supportive care. The UK government and Wellcome Trust and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, BMGF, jointly financed the recovery trial. The principal investigator, PI, Peter Horby, is a member of SAGE and is the chairman of NERVTAG, the new and emerging respiratory virus threats advisory group, both important committees that give the UK government advice on mitigating the pandemic. Horby's willingness to risk death of patients given toxic doses of HCQ fueled his subsequent rise in the UK medical hierarchy. Horby received a parade of extraordinary promotions after he orchestrated the mass poisonings of senior citizens. Queen Elizabeth recently knighted him. Gates's fingerprints are all over this sanguinary project. Despite suspiciously missing pages, the published minutes of WHO's part-secret March and April meetings show these medical alchemists establishing the lethal dosing of chloroquines, CQ and HCQ, for WHO's Solidarity Clinical Trial. Only four participants attended the second WHO meeting to determine the dose of HCQ and CQ for the Solidarity Trial. One was Scott Miller, the BMGF's senior program officer. The report admits that the Solidarity Trial was using the highest dose of any recent trial. The report acknowledges that the BMGF developed a model of chloroquine penetration into tissues for malaria. BMGF's unique dosing model for the studies deliberately overestimated the amount of HCQ necessary to achieve adequate lung tissue concentrations. The WHO report confesses that this model is, however, not validated. Gates' deadly deception allowed FDA to wrongly declare that HCQ would be ineffective at safe levels. The minutes of that March 13, 2020 meeting suggest that BMGF knew the proper drug dosing and the need for early administration, yet their same researchers then participated in deliberately providing a potentially lethal dose, failing to dose by weight, missing the early window during which treatment was known to be effective, and giving the drugs to subjects who were already critically ill with comorbidities that made it more likely they would not tolerate the high dose. 
The solidarity trial design also departed from standard protocols by collecting no safety data, only whether the patient died or how many days they were hospitalized. Researchers collected no information on in-hospital complications. This strategy shielded the WHO from gathering information that could pin adverse reactions on the dose. The report of WHO's HCQ trial notes that WHO researchers did not retain any consent forms from the elderly patients they were overdosing, as the law in most countries requires, and makes the bewildering claim that some patients signed consent forms in retrospect, a stunning procedure that is unethical on its face. The WHO's researchers noted in their interim report on the trial, consent forms were signed and retained by the patients, an extremely unorthodox and suspicious procedure that suggests that there may have been no formal consents, but noted for record that consent was generally prospective, but could, where locally approved, be retrospective. One wonders if researchers notified their families of the high dose they were giving to their elderly parents and grandparents in locked COVID wards to which they denied family members access. The researchers evinced their guilty knowledge by concealing the research records of the doses they used in solidarity when they filed their trial reports. They also omitted dosing numbers from the report of WHO's meeting to determine the dose and omitted details of dosing from the WHO's solidarity trial registration. Another group of researchers using overdose concentrations of chloroquine published their study as a preprint in mid-April 2020 and quickly brought to print. In the preeminent journal JAMA, the Journal of the American Medical Association. In this murder-for-hire scheme, Brazilian researchers used a dose of 1,200 milligrams a day for up to 10 days of CQ. According to a 2020 review of CQ and HCQ toxicity, as little as 2 to 3 grams of chloroquine may be fatal in adult patients, though the most commonly reported lethal dose in adults is 3 to 4 grams. Predictably, so many subjects died in the Brazilian high-dose study, 39%, 16 of 41 of the subjects who took this dose, that the researchers had to halt the study. The subject's mean age was only 55. Their medical records revealed EKG changes characteristic of CQ toxicity. The WHO and UK trial coordinators must have known this information but they made no efforts to stop their own overdose trials nor to lower the doses. Although Gates did not fund the JAMA study directly, it's very possible he funded it indirectly through a nebulous list of funders, the senior and last author, Marcus Vinicius Guimarães Lacerda, has been a Gates-funded researcher on numerous projects Further, the BMGF has funded multiple projects at the same medical foundation where he and the first, or lead author, Borba, work in Manaus, Brazil. Traditionally, the first listed author is generally seen as the senior and accountable author. Gates and his cabal 
used an arsenal of other deceptive gimmickry to assure that HCQ would appear not just deadly, but ineffective. Each of the studies that Gates funded failed to incorporate Zithromax and Zinc, important components of HCQ protocols. All of the Fauci, Gates, WHO, Solidarity, Recovery, and Remap COVID studies administered HCQ at late stages of COVID infection, in contravention of the prevailing recommendations that deem HCQ effective only when doctors administer it early. Viewing this orchestrated sabotage with frustration, critics accused the Gates grantees of purposefully designing these studies at best to fail and at worst to murder. Brazilian prosecutors have accused the authors of the study of committing homicide by purposefully poisoning the elderly subjects in their study with high doses of chloroquine. All through 2020, Bill Gates and Fauci lashed out against HCQ every chance they got. During the early stages of the pandemic in March, Bill Gates penned an op-ed in the Washington Post. Besides calling for a complete lockdown in every state, along with accelerated testing and vaccine development, Gates warned that leaders can help by not stoking rumors or panic buying. Long before the drug hydroxychloroquine was approved as an emergency treatment for COVID-19, people started hoarding it, making it hard for lupus patients who need it to survive. This, of course, was a lie. The only ones hoarding HCQ were Dr. Fauci and Rick Bright, who had padlocked 63 million doses in the strategic national stockpile more than enough to supply virtually every gerontology ward patient in America. Despite such efforts to create a shortage, none existed. HCQ is cheap, quick, and easy to manufacture, and since its patent has expired, dozens of manufacturers around the world can quickly ramp up production to meet escalating demand. In July, Gates endorsed censorship of HCQ recommendations after a video touting its efficacy against coronavirus accumulated tens of millions of views. Gates called the video outrageous and praised Facebook and YouTube for hastily removing it. He nevertheless complained, You can't find it directly on those services, but everybody's sending the link around because it's still out there on the Internet. This, Gates told Yahoo News, revealed a persistent shortcoming of the platforms. Their ability to stop things before they become widespread, they probably should have improved that, Gates scolded. Asked by Bloomberg News in mid-August about how the Trump White House had promoted HCQ, despite its repeatedly being shown to be ineffective and in fact to cause heart problems in some patients, Gates happily responded, this is an age of science, but sometimes it doesn't feel that way. In the test tube, hydroxychloroquine looked good. On the other hand, there are lots of good therapeutic drugs coming that are proven to work without the severe side effects. Gates went on to promote Gilead's remdesivir as the best alternative, despite its lackluster track record compared to HCQ.
He didn't mention having a large stake in Gilead, which stood to make billions if Dr. Fauci was able to run remdesivir through the regulatory traps. Obsequious reporters consistently encouraged Gates to portray himself as an objective expert, and Gates used that interview to discredit HCQ and also me. His Bloomberg questioner opened the door with a typical softball. For years, people have said if anti-vaxxers had lived through a pandemic the way their grandparents did, they'd think differently. Gates replied, The two times I've been to the White House since 2016, I was told I had to go listen to anti-vaxxers like Robert Kennedy Jr. So yes, it's ironic that people are questioning vaccines and we're actually having to say, oh my God, how else can you get out of a tragic pandemic? If he had only asked me, I could have told him. Lancetgate It remains an enduring mystery. Just which powerful figures caused the world's two most prestigious scientific journals, The Lancet and The New England Journal of Medicine, NEJM, to publish overtly fraudulent studies from a non-existent database owned by a previously unknown company. Anthony Fauci and the vaccine cartels celebrated the Lancet and NEJM papers on May 22, 2020, as the final nail in hydroxychloroquine's coffin. Both studies in these respected publications relied on data from the Surgisphere Corporation, an obscure Illinois-based medical education company that claimed to somehow control an extraordinary global database boasting access to medical information from 96,000 patients in more than 600 hospitals. Founded in 2008, this sketchy enterprise had 11 employees, including a middling science fiction writer and a porn star events hostess. Surgisphere claimed to have analyzed data from six continents and hundreds of hospitals that had treated patients with HCQ or CQ in real time. Someone persuaded The Lancet and the New England Journal of Medicine to publish two Surgisphere studies in separate articles on May 1st and 22nd. Like the other Gates-supported studies, the Lancet article portrayed HCQ as ineffective and dangerous. The Lancet study said that the Surgisphere data proved that HCQ increased cardiac mortality in COVID-19 patients. Based on this study, the FDA withdrew its EUA recommendation on June 15, 2020. The WHO and UK suspended their hydroxychloroquine clinical trials on May 25. Each resumed briefly, then stopped for good in June, declaring HCQ unhelpful. Three European nations immediately banned use of HCQ, and others followed within weeks. That would normally have been the end of it if not for the 200 independent scientists who quickly exposed the Lancet and NEJM studies as shockingly clumsy con jobs. The Surgisphere datasets that formed the foundation of the studies were so ridiculously erroneous that they could only have been a rank invention. To cite only one of many discrepancies, the number of reported deaths among patients taking hydroxychloroquine in one Australian hospital 
exceeded the total number of deaths for the entire country. An international brouhaha quickly revealed that the Surgisphere database did not exist, and soon enough, Surgisphere itself vanished from the Internet. The University of Utah terminated the faculty appointment of one of the article's authors, Amit Patel. Surgisphere's founder, Sapan S. Desai, disappeared from his job at a Chicago hospital. Even the New York Times reported that more than 100 scientists and clinicians have questioned the authenticity of the database, as well as the study's integrity. Despite the barrage of astonished criticism, the Lancet held firm for two weeks before relenting to the remonstrances. Finally, three of the four Lancet co-authors requested the paper be retracted. Both the Lancet and NEJM finally withdrew their studies in shame. Somebody at the very pinnacle of the medical cartel had twisted arms, kicked groins, and stoved in kneecaps to force these periodicals to abandon their policies, shred their ethics, and spend down their centuries of hard-won credibility in a desperate bid to torpedo HCQ. To date, neither the authors nor the journals have explained who induced them to co-author and publish the most momentous fraud in the history of scientific publishing. The headline of a comprehensive expose in The Guardian expressed the global shock among the scientific community at the rank corruption by scientific publishing's most formidable pillars. The Lancet has made one of the biggest retractions in modern history. How could this happen? The Guardian writers openly accuse the Lancet of promoting fraud. The sheer number and magnitude of the things that went wrong or missing are too enormous to attribute to mere incompetence. The Guardian commented, What's incredible is that the editors of these esteemed journals still have a job. That is how utterly incredible the supposed data underlying the studies was. The capacity of their pharma overlords to strong-arm the world's top two medical journals, the NEJM and The Lancet, into condoning deadly research and to simultaneously publish blatantly fraudulent articles in the middle of a pandemic, attests to the cartel's breathtaking power and ruthlessness. It is no longer controversial to acknowledge that drug makers rigorously control medical publishing and that The Lancet, NEJM, and JAMA are utterly corrupted instruments of pharma. The Lancet editor Richard Horton confirms journals have devolved into information laundering operations for the pharmaceutical industry. Dr. Marcia Angel, who served as an NEJM editor for 20 years, says journals are primarily a marketing machine. Pharma, she says, has co-opted every institution that might stand in its way. Cracking down on HCQ to keep case fatalities high. Referring to the Lancet Surgisphere study during a May 27th CNN interview, Dr. Fauci stated on CNN about hydroxychloroquine the scientific data is really quite evident now about the lack of efficacy. And even after the scandal lay exposed and the journals retracted their articles, 
Dr. Fauci let his lie stand. Instead of launching an investigation of this momentous and enormously consequential fraud by the world's two leading medical journals and publicly apologizing, Dr. Fauci and the medical establishment simply ignored the wrongful conduct and persevered in their plan to deny global populations access to life-saving HCQ. The historic journal retractions went practically unnoticed in the slavish, scientifically illiterate mainstream press, which persisted in fortifying the COVID propaganda. Headlines continued to blame HCQ for the deaths instead of the deliberately treacherous researchers who gave sick, elderly, and compromised patients toxic drug dosages. And most remarkable of all, the FDA made no effort to change the recommendation it made against HCQ. Other countries persisted in demonizing the life-saving drug. Once the FDA approves a prescription medication, federal laws allow any U.S. physician to prescribe the duly approved drug for any reason. 21% of all prescriptions written by American doctors, exercising their medical judgment, are for off-label uses. Even after the FDA withdrew its emergency use authorization and posted the fraudulent warning on its website, many frontline doctors across the country continued to prescribe and report strong benefits with appropriate doses of HCQ. In response, Dr. Fauci took even more unprecedented steps to derail doctors from prescribing HCQ. In March, while people were dying at the rate of 10,000 patients a week, Dr. Fauci declared that hydroxychloroquine should only be used as part of a clinical trial. For the first time in American history, a government official was overruling the medical judgment of thousands of treating physicians and ordering doctors to stop practicing medicine as they saw fit. Boldly and relentlessly, Dr. Fauci kept declaring that the overwhelming evidence of properly conducted randomized clinical trials indicate no therapeutic efficacy of hydroxychloroquine. Dr. Fauci failed to disclose that none of the trials he had used as the basis for that pronouncement involved medication given in the first five to seven days after onset of symptoms. Instead, all of those randomized controlled trials targeted patients who were already sick enough to be hospitalized. People wanting to be treated in that first critical week of illness and avoid being hospitalized were basically out of luck as Dr. Fauci moved to foreclose patients from receiving the life-saving remedy during the treatment window when science and previous experience showed it to be effective. On July 2nd, following the humiliating journal retractions, Detroit's Henry Ford Health System published a peer-reviewed study showing that hydroxychloroquine significantly cut death rates even in mid-to-late COVID cases and without any heart-related side effects. Fauci leapt to the barricades to rescue his vaccine enterprise. On July 30th, he testified before Congress that the Michigan results were flawed. The FDA revocation of the EUA 
and Dr. Fauci's withering response to the Michigan trial provided cover for 33 governors whose states moved to restrict prescribing or dispensing of HCQ. In New York, Governor Andrew Cuomo drove up record death counts by ordering that physicians prescribe HCQ only for hospitalized patients. In Nevada, Governor Stephen Sisolak prohibited both prescribing and dispensing chloroquine drugs for COVID-19. State medical licensing boards threatened to bring unprofessional conduct charges against non-complying doctors, a threat to their license, and to sanction doctors if they prescribed the drug. Most pharmacists were afraid to dispense HCQ, and on June 15th, state pharmacy boards in Arizona, Arkansas, Michigan, Minnesota, New Hampshire, New York, Oregon, and Rhode Island began refusing orders from physicians and retailers. Hospitals commanded doctors to cease treating their patients with HCQ beginning June 15, 2020. The NIAID halted a clinical trial of the drug in outpatients in June 2020, only a month after it started, having enrolled only 20 of the planned 2,000 enrollees. The FDA blocked access to the millions of doses of HCQ and CQ that Sanofi and other drug makers had donated to the Strategic National Stockpile with appropriate tax benefits. Sanofi announced it would no longer supply the drug for use treating COVID. Dr. Fauci and his HHS cronies decreed that the medication rot in warehouses while Americans unnecessarily sickened and died from COVID-19. On June 17th, the WHO, for which Mr. Gates is the largest funder after the U.S., and over which Mr. Gates and Dr. Fauci exercised tight control, called for the halt of HCQ trials in hundreds of hospitals across the world. WHO Chief Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus ordered nations to stop using HCQ and CQ. Portugal, France, Italy, and Belgium banned HCQ for COVID-19 treatment. Foreign Experiences In compliance with the WHO recommendation, Switzerland banned the use of HCQ. However, about two weeks into the ban, Switzerland's death rates tripled for about 15 days until Switzerland reintroduced HCQ. COVID deaths then fell back to their baseline. Switzerland's natural experiment had provided yet another potent argument for HCQ. Similarly, Panamanian physician and government advisor Sanchez Cardenas notes that when Panama banned HCQ, deaths shot up until the government relented, at which point deaths dropped back to baseline. Seven months into the pandemic, nations that widely used HCQ and made it readily available to their citizens demonstrated overwhelming evidence that HCQ was obliterating COVID-19. A June 2, 2020 court filing supporting the use of HCQ for COVID included an Association of American Physicians and Surgeons, AAPS, 
comparison of national death rates among countries with varying policies governing access to HCQ. Many countries with underdeveloped healthcare systems were using HCQ early and achieving far lower mortalities than in the United States, where HHS and the FDA impede access to HCQ. AAPS General Counsel Andrew Schlafly observed that citizens of the Philippines, Poland, Israel, and Turkey all have greater access to HCQ than American citizens do, and they have superior morbidity outcomes. He added, in Venezuela, HCQ is available over-the-counter without a prescription, while in the United States, pharmacists are prevented from filling prescriptions for HCQ. Other foreign studies support strong claims for HCQ. A study by NOVA demonstrated that nations using HCQ have death rates 80% lower than those that banned it. A meta-review of 58 peer-reviewed observational studies by physician researchers in Spain, Italy, France, and Saudi Arabia found that hydroxychloroquine dramatically reduced mortality from COVID, while additional articles by doctors in Turkey, Canada, and the U.S. found that HCQ's cardiac toxicity is negligible. Furthermore, Mortality and morbidity data from over six dozen nations indicate a strong relationship between access to HCQ and COVID-19 death rates. While such a relationship does not prove cause-effect, it would be lunacy to simply ignore the reality and assume no relationship. Country by country, data consistently links broader access to HCQ to lower mortality. The very poorest countries, if they used HCQ, had far lower case fatality rates than wealthy countries than did not. Even impoverished African nations, where experts like Bill Gates predicted the highest death rates, had drastically lower mortalities than in nations that banned HCQ. Senegal and Nigeria, for example, both used hydroxychloroquine and had COVID fatality rates that were significantly lower than those experienced in the United States. Similarly, despite the fact that hygiene in those countries is often far inferior, in Ethiopia, Mozambique, Niger, Congo, and Ivory Coast, there are far fewer per capita deaths than in the U.S. In those nations, death rates vary between 8 and 47.2 deaths per million inhabitants as of September 24, 2021. In contrast, Western countries that denied access to HCQ experienced numbers of coronavirus deaths per million inhabitants between 220 per million in Holland, 2,000 per million in the U.S., and 850 deaths per million in Belgium. Dr. Merrill Nass observed, if people in these malaria countries would boost their immune system with zinc, vitamin C and vitamin D, the coronavirus death toll would even further decrease. Similarly, Bangladesh CFR, Senegal, Pakistan, Serbia, Nigeria, Turkey, and Ukraine all allow unrestricted use of HCQ and all have minuscule case fatality rates compared to the countries that ban HCQ.
Wealthier democracies or countries with especially restrictive HCQ protocols, Ireland, Canada, Spain, the Netherlands, UK, Belgium, and France, are comparatively deadly environments. Andrew Schlafly observed that the mortality rate from COVID-19 in countries that allow access to HCQ is only one-tenth the mortality rate in countries where there is interference with this medication, such as the United States. In some areas of Central America, officials are even going door-to-door to distribute HCQ. These countries have been successful in limiting the mortality from COVID-19 to only a fraction of what it is in wealthier countries. As the industry government cartel ramped up its campaign to keep HCQ from the masses, many doctors fought back. On July 23rd, Yale virologist Dr. Harvey Reich persisted, this time with a Newsweek article titled The key to defeating COVID-19 already exists. We need to start using it. Dr. Reich beseeched the authorities. HCQ saves lives, and its use could quickly end the pandemic. By then, Dr. Reich had updated his rigorous analysis of the early treatment of COVID-19 with hydroxychloroquine, zinc, and azithromycin. He now cited 12 clinical studies suggesting that the early administration of HCQ could lower death rates by 50%. In that case, COVID-19 would have a lower case fatality rate than the seasonal influenza. We would still have had a pandemic, Harvey Reich told me, but we wouldn't have had the carnage. Noting more than 50 HCQ studies, Dr. Merrill Nass in June 2020 supported Reich's calculation If people were treated prophylactically with this drug, using only two tablets weekly, as is done in some areas and some occupational groups in India, there would probably be at least 50% fewer cases after exposure. Stopping the pandemic in its tracks seemed to be the last thing Tony Fauci wanted. Thanks to Dr. Fauci, most U.S. states had by then banned treatment with HCQ, including Dr. Nass's home state of Maine which banned it for prophylaxis, but did allow it for acute treatment. Dr. Nass suggested that the acts to suppress the use of HCQ were carefully orchestrated, and that these events might have been planned to keep the pandemic going, to sell expensive drugs and vaccines to a captive population. In the same article by Dr. Merrill Nass, published on June 27, 2020, Nass, who has extensively studied HCQ, pointed out that with prophylactic treatment with HCQ at the onset of their illness, over 99% would quickly resolve the infection, avoiding progression to the late-stage disease characterized by cytokine storm, thrombophilia, and organ failure. Despite claims to the contrary, This treatment is very safe, yet outpatient treatment is banned in the United States. Beginning June 27, 2020, Dr. Nass began a list of deceptive strategies that the Fauci Pharma Gates cartel used to control the narrative on hydroxychloroquine and deny Americans access to this effective remedy. The list has grown to 58 
separate strategies. It is remarkable, she observed, how a large series of events taking place over the past months produced a unified message about hydroxychloroquine and produced similar policies about the drug in the U.S., Canada, Australia, New Zealand, and Western Europe. The message is that generic, inexpensive hydroxychloroquine, costing only a dollar to produce a full course, is dangerous. Dr. Fauci's Hypocritical HCQ Games In his early AIDS days, Dr. Fauci had thrashed FDA as inhumane for demanding randomized, double-blind placebo studies at the height of the pandemic. Now, here he was doing what he had condemned by blocking an effective treatment simply because it would compete with his expensive, patent-protected, pharmaceutical remdesivir and vaccines. Dr. Fauci repeatedly insisted he would not allow HCQ for COVID-19 until its efficacy is proven in randomized, double-blind placebo studies. Dr. Reich calls this position a transparent sham. Dr. Fauci knew that neither industry nor its PIs would ever sponsor trials for a product with expired patents. It's noteworthy that while Dr. Fauci was bemoaning the lack of evidence of HCQ efficacy, he was refusing to commission his own trials to study early use of the hydroxychloroquine, zinc, and zithromax remedy. Dr. Fauci himself, while spending $48 billion on zero-liability vaccines, at first refused to allocate anything for a randomized placebo study of HCQ. Even worse, he canceled two NIAID-sponsored trials of outpatient HCQ before completion. Dr. Fauci's hypocrisy about HCQ is evident to anyone who looks at his vacillating pronouncements throughout his long career. He has persistently insisted on double-blind, randomized placebo trials for medicines he dislikes, those that compete with his patented remedies, and airily fixed the NIAID study of remdesivir by changing the endpoints midstream to favor the drug. Dr. Fauci did not sponsor or encourage randomized trials for masks, lockdowns, or social distancing. And in the decades since he took over NIAID, he has never demanded randomized studies to confirm safety of the combined 69 vaccine doses currently on the childhood schedule. Every one of these vaccines is regarded as so unavoidably unsafe in the words of the 1986 Vaccine Act, NCVIA, and the Supreme Court, that their manufacturers have demanded and received immunity from liability. During a 2013 USA Today interview, Dr. Fauci discussed remedies for another deadly coronavirus, MERS, which was causing an outbreak in Qatar and Saudi Arabia with over 30% mortality. Dr. Fauci then sang an entirely different tune than he is singing now about hydroxychloroquine. He suggested using a combination of the antiviral drugs ribavirin 
and interferon alpha-2b to treat MERS, even though the treatment had never been tested for safety or effectiveness against MERS in humans. In that circumstance, Dr. Fauci's NIAID had found that the treatment could stop MERS virus from reproducing in lab-grown cells. And, oh yes, NIAID had patented it. We don't have to start designing new drugs, Dr. Fauci told journalists. The next time someone comes into an emergency room in Qatar or Saudi Arabia, you would have drugs that are readily available, and at least you would have some data. Even though the treatment hadn't gone through any trials, Dr. Fauci urged its compassionate use. If I were a physician in a hospital and someone were dying, rather than do nothing, you can see if these work. He played by all new rules when it came to COVID, forcing doctors to stand on the sidelines while patients died and prohibiting them from trying combinations of repurposed therapeutics to see if these work. Back in 2013, when Dr. Fauci endorsed ribavirin interferon for use against MERS, the two-punch hepatitis C remedy was, according to NIH, horrendously dangerous with harms occurring in literally every patient who took the concoction. It causes hemolytic anemia chronic fatigue syndrome and a retinue of birth defects and or death of unborn children. Ribavirin is genotoxic, mutagenic, and a potential carcinogen. Nevertheless, in 2013, Dr. Fauci advocated the therapy despite the total lack of randomized, placebo-controlled clinical trials. In fact, the lack of any human data on using the combination against MERS. The COVID vaccines that qualified for emergency use authorization include novel platforms like mRNA and DNA with no known safety profile. Others use toxic adjuvants like squalene and aluminum or novel adjuvants with proven risks and potentially high rates of serious injuries. The two-month randomized clinical trials that justified the EUAs for COVID vaccines were far too brief to detect injuries with longer incubation periods. The vaccines are so risky that the insurance industry has refused to underwrite them, and the manufacturers refuse to produce them without blanket immunity from liability. Bill Gates who is the principal investor in many of these new COVID vaccines, stipulated that their risk is so great that he would not provide them to people unless every government shielded him from lawsuits. Why then should HCQ be the only remedy required to cross this artificially high hurdle? After all, HCQ is less in need of randomized placebo studies than any of these vaccines or remdesivir. The safety of HCQ has been established over more than six decades. While vaccines are given to healthy people who face small risk of catching the disease, HCQ is administered to people who are actually sick, with virtually no risk to the patient. If a drug is safe and might work, if people are dying and there are no other good options, must we not try it? Dr. Fauci's on-again, off-again interest in drug safety is situational and self-interested. 
He claimed on July 31st about HCQ that, if that randomized placebo-controlled trial shows efficacy, I would be the first to admit it and to promote it, but I have not. So I just have to go with the data. I don't have any horse in the game one way or the other. I just look at the data. In fact, Dr. Fauci always had a stable of horses in the game. One of them is remdesivir. Even after the WHO's randomized placebo trial showed remdesivir ineffective against COVID. Furthermore, remdesivir has a catastrophic safety profile. His second nag is the Moderna vaccine, in which he invested years and six billion taxpayer dollars. He was thrilled to sponsor a human trial of a Moderna COVID vaccine, partly owned by his agency before there were any safety and efficacy data from animal studies, which goes against FDA regulations. He then pushed for hundreds of millions of people to get EUA vaccines before the randomized placebo-controlled trials were complete. So much for Dr. Fauci's requirement for having high-quality evidence before risking use of drugs and vaccines in humans. Dr. Fauci's ethical flip-flopping about the need for rigid safety testing is particularly troubling, since he is championing a competitive product from which his agency and his employees expect a lucrative financial outcome. In the midst of a pandemic, with hundreds of thousands of deaths attributed to COVID and the economy in freefall, Dr. Fauci's suggestion that we withhold promising treatments that have an established safety profile from patients who have a potentially lethal disease pending the completion of randomized controlled clinical trials is highly manipulative and utterly unethical. It is not medically ethical to allow a COVID-19 patient to deteriorate in the early stages of the infection when there is an inexpensive, safe, and demonstrably effective HCQ treatment that CDC's and NIAID's own studies show blocks coronavirus replication. It would be equally unethical to enroll sick individuals in such studies, as Dr. Fauci proposes, in which half the infected patients would receive a placebo. Dr. Fauci's hypocrisy is particularly acute since the 21st Century Cures Act, which Congress passed in 2016, directs the FDA to accept precisely the type of real-world evidence reported by treating physicians like Drs. Zelenko, Raoult, Reich, Corey, McCullough, Gold, and Chinese doctors in lieu of controlled clinical trials for licensing new products. The Cures Act recognizes that doctors and scientists can obtain very useful information when treating patients and observing the results outside of a formal trial setting. For Big Pharma, no milestone was more important during the current pandemic than neutralizing HCQ to prevent its widespread beneficial use. Dr. Fauci's shocking inconsistency and ethical breaches are congruent with his long history of promoting Big Pharma's more profitable patented products and using his power and influence to advance its agenda without regard to public health. Dr. Fauci's leadership role in this deadly scandal 
is consistent with his long history of discrediting therapies that compete with vaccines and other patented pharmaceutical products. Thanks to Dr. Fauci's strategic campaign, most Americans are still unable to obtain HCQ for early treatment of COVID-19. Even fewer Americans are able to access it as preventive medicine, and fewer still are aware of its benefits. His bizarre and inexplicable actions give credence to the suspicions held by many Americans that Dr. Fauci is working to prolong the epidemic in order to impose expensive patented drugs and vaccines on a captive population during a pandemic that has crashed the world economy, caused famines, and destroyed lives. While Dr. Fauci held us hostage waiting for what turned out to be imperfect vaccines, his own agency attributed over half a million deaths in America to COVID. Professor Reich believes that Dr. Fauci knowingly lied about the drug's hydroxychloroquine and used his influence to get the FDA to suppress it because he and other bureaucrats are in bed with other forces that are causing them to make decisions that are not based on the science and are killing Americans. Moreover, Dr. Reich specifically claims that Fauci and the FDA have caused the deaths of hundreds of thousands of Americans who could have been saved by HCQ.